Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast. We simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m. and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. we go through the Old Testament. Uh, we have children's ministry available for both services and if you need to get more information on the church you can go to calvarydivine.org. As we begin our verse-by-verse study we'll be in the book of Mark chapter 15 verses 1 through 20. The title of this sermon is Are You the King of the Jews? Here is the first half of this two-part study. All right, so I entitled this, and it's not the title on the, on the bulletin, so that's, that's what a pastor has when he has a, a, a late, um, we had a, what is it when the babies, Lord have mercy. I never go to them, that's why, the wedding shower, the baby shower. We had a late baby shower last night, so, and I, I came running in trying to finish it up last night, so that's on me. So the, the title is, and I'll give it to you, it's actually from Scripture in Mark 15, verses 1 through 20. I entitled it, Are You the King of the Jews? Simply, Are You the King of the Jews? And we'll look at it in three parts. We'll look at verses 1 through 5, delivered to Pilate. In verses 6 through 15, delivered to be crucified. And in verses 16 through 20, delivered to the soldiers. So last week, we, we dealt with a religious trial as, as Jesus was with the chief priest and the Sanhedrin. And one of the things we had talked about was the kangaroo court that was there as they brought false witnesses, and they didn't follow their own rules as they tried Jesus. They were supposed to wait 24 hours before they brought a, a death sentence on somebody, a full 24 hours, and they haven't done that. And then on top of it, the Sanhedrin could not bring charges against anybody, but they did. So they've broken those laws to try Jesus. And what's sad is the Sanhedrin was there to protect the Jewish people, and they weren't doing that. And we come into uh, this week's trial, as we talked about it last week, there are six trials. You have three religious trials and three civil trials. And so today what we have is a civil trial as he goes with Pilate. And remember, he goes to Pilate once, and then he gets sent to Herod Antipas, and then he goes to Pilate again. And we'll kind of go through that today. So let's go ahead and jump right into it as we look at verse 1 as he's delivered to Pilate. And it says, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So actually what they're doing, this is sometime around 5, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., and they're only doing this to make it look like, hey, we waited till morning to make the decision. When they were just a few hours ago going over this with, with Jesus. So they're, again, they're trying to, to, to put up a, a wall of, hey, we've done everything we're supposed to do. And they haven't done it. And, and sadly, they, you know, when we, when we think about the, the 
what their job is as a Sanhedrin. It was actually to, to protect the law of the Bible, but also to protect the laws that they had for the Jewish people. And they went completely past all of that so that way they could try Jesus. You have a bunch of men that are in contempt and wanting to go after Jesus. One thing we do know is that after this happens, as they get done with Jesus and bring him to Pilate, there's something that happens in between there. It's the last time we see Judas. Judas actually tries to return the money. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is this to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of, uh, of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what, was, what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And they took the 30 pieces of silver the price of, of him whom a, a price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. And so we know that that uh, actually uh, fulfilled the, the scriptures, but we also know, as, as it was talked about in the book of Acts, when they talked about Judas, um, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Brothers, the scriptures have been fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired uh, with the rewards of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open into the, middle of the, into the middle and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that field was called in their own language, Akladama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take its office. So again, we're seeing prophecy and scripture being fulfilled. That's Psalm 69, 25. That's being fulfilled and may, may their camp be desolation, let there no one dwell in their tents. And that's also Psalm 109, 9 that they're going over. So that's the last time that we hear of Judas. That's it. But now we're introduced to Pilate. In verse 2, And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Pilate was actually the governor of Palestine. And Pilate's job was to make sure peace was maintained with Jerusalem and the Romans. Because Jerusalem had religious freedom to worship God. The Romans allowed them to have that. But whenever there was a Passover, there was always the worry of, of a riot or things to come, like an insurrection. And so Pilate had the job of making sure that, that the taxes were, were collected, but he was also in charge of the Roman army for that area. And what he would do is he would tiptoe on both sides, making sure the Roman people were happy. Right? Those back in Rome making sure they got everything they needed and they were good to go. But then he would also make sure the religious leaders were happy. But when Jesus comes to him, 
It's going to put Pilate in the middle. And Pilate's going to have to make a decision about Jesus. And that's what I love about Jesus. There's no wiggle room. You have to make a decision about Christ. You can't play both sides of the fence. Because the devil actually owns the fence. You either follow him or you don't. And what we're going to see is Pilate do this political tip, the little tiptoe dance that he does between the religious leaders and the Roman government to try to make sure everybody's happy. And he asks that question, but there's a little bit more to it. So turn to John 18. I'm going to have you all kind of bouncing between John, Matthew, and uh, Luke as we go through this today so we can get the full picture of this. But John 18, verse 29 So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? He's talking about Jesus. They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So what charge did the the, the religious leaders have against him? That's a very vague statement. Well, he's doing evil, right? And they answered, If this man were not doing evil, would we not have delivered him over to you? And Pilate said to them, Taking him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to them, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. You read this and you go, what is going on here? Because the Jews would normally do what? If they were going to put somebody to death before the Roman Empire, they would have done what? They would have taken them outside and stoned them to death already. But they can't do that because the Roman law will not let them put anyone to death. They don't have that authority. And it's a reminder to us that regardless of what's happening in our world, that God's in control. God was in control of Pilate. God was in control of the religious leaders because Jesus had to go to the cross. And we know that back in John 3.14, it says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He must be lifted up. And the crucifixion actually means his glorification. The cross was not the end of his glory. It's actually the beginning of the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did for us. In John 12, 32, it says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So we see that God's in control, not Pilate and not the religious leaders. Jesus has a date with the cross, and he knows it. That's why he was in the garden a couple weeks ago in Gethsemane Asking, Lord, is there any other way? Is there any other way? But he asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And he asked it in a very disdain, surprise, like, really, they have a king? <laughs> are you the king of the Jews? But we get more information again in John 18, verses 33. So there's a little more. Remember, Mark is written for a Roman audience. So it's all action. They got to go from the next point to the next point to the next point. Remember when you're studying scripture, you always look at who's, who's it written to? Who is the audience? So Mark was written to a Roman audience. It's all action. Because c- you read this and you go, wow, that's pretty quick. But you see in John 18, 32, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And then Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And so Pilate comes back and he goes, Look, whatever y'all have going on, I'm not a Jew. I don't care. I believe in many gods. 
That's what the Romans believed. Right? I, I don't care if you're a king. We have an emperor. That's who I have to satisfy. And he goes on in verse 36. He says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. That isn't my kingdom. Is, is, he's telling him, this is not my kingdom. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone uh, who is of the truth listens to my voice. What's sad is what Pilate says next. Right? Pilate says in verse 38, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I found no guilt. Pilate tells him what is truth, and the truth is standing in front of him. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to get to heaven but through him. You can't get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And the truth is actually in front of him, and he's missing it. The Messiah was in front of the religious leaders last week as we looked at that scripture, and they're missing it because of their hard hearts. They were envious of what Jesus was doing. And a lot of people are trying to define what their truth is. Jesus has done that. He is the truth. That's as simple as it gets. Well, I need to know what my truth is for my life. Well, your truth is that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. That's what truth is. And what you're wanting to do is find out what your emotions and feelings want you to find out about. And that's not what we've been called to do. And it's sad because Pilate just says, what is truth? And, and it's, you know, as we look at that, you know, Jesus answered Pilate back there. He said, so you have said so. So he says, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. So there's a little bit more to that than as quickly as Mark gives it to us, right? And then it says in verse 3, and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him, have, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they, they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate is used to people begging for their lives. Lying. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Wasn't me. And here's Jesus. He's not saying anything. And all Jesus is doing is fulfilling Scripture. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before is a shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Doesn't say anything. Let's turn to, to Luke chapter 23. Because there's a little bit more here. Because they're going to have to come up with charges. Right? Luke 23 verses 1 and 2. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this man leading, misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, again, Pilate cares not that if he calls himself a king, because he's calling himself the king of the Jews. He doesn't care. But you talk about not paying your taxes? We got a problem. Why? That could be a problem for Pilate, because the Romans were expecting their tribute, their money. And if this man is telling them not to pay their taxes, that could be an issue. So they come up with an issue. But again, they're lying. Because back in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. 
Jesus told them, you need to pay your taxes. Render to Caesar, was, and that's for us too. Don't think that you can just skip out on that stuff. Because I've heard some Christians, oh, I don't have to pay taxes. I'm like, no, <laughs> render to Caesar what is Caesar's, okay? Let's pick it up again in Luke chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. So they have to come up with another charge. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I found no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. So he stirs up the people. Now, Mark doesn't cover this, but this is very important, because as he's talking about this, they're lying, saying that he stirs up the people through his teachings. But we've known that all Jesus has done is cast out demons, healed the sick, taught with authority, right? That's, and just loved on people. That's what he's done. And share the gospel. You know, he's telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But they lied. But Pilate couldn't have disruptions. He couldn't have unsettled peace or a possibility of a riot during the, the Passover. But he heard something that stood out to him. And he goes, wait a minute. He's from Galilee. Oh, no. Uh, he's not my jurisdiction. Right? That's what we see in verse 23, verse 5. It says, but they... We're urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he would ask him whether this man, uh, the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. Isn't that incredible? Herod is in Jerusalem at the same time. And guess what? Herod and Pilate could not stand each other. And yet God has them working together. So he sends them to Herod Antipas. Now I'm, I'm going over this so you get a bigger picture of where we're at in, in the scripture. Well, let's pick it up and just continue in Luke 23 and verse 8. It says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he, he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. And do you know what? That's how a lot of people are. They come out to see the show. I want to see what it's about. And that's what people did with Jesus. They heard that he was feeding free people, that he was feeding thousands, right? And they're like, well, there's free food. Well, he's casting out demons. Well, we can go see the show. And that's all Herod Antipas wants. That's all he wants. He just wants to see Jesus do a sign in front of him. That's it. So he questioned him at some length, but he, went, he made no answer. Then chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently, accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid uh, clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod, this is what's funny, these two guys were f arguing all the time. And Herod and Pilate become friends with each other that very day. Isn't the devil funny? How he can put two, two ungodly people to become friends again. For they, uh, before, before this, they had been at enmity with each other. In verse 13, it says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people after examining him uh, before you. Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any charges against him. Neither did Herod. So both, this is the second civil trial, right? You had Pilate and Herod Antipas and neither person finds him guilty. This is very important. And both times, whether it was the religious trial with the Sanhedrin, 
Jesus identifies that he is the king of the Jews, that he is the Christ, right? And then now in the civil trial, he's answering the question, you know, are you the king of the Jews? I am. He's answering the question. And neither did Herod for him send him back to us, and like nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. So that actually brings us to verse 6. All of that happened, and that's why I wanted to cover that, because Mark, Mark kind of just quickly hits it. And I'm like, wait a minute, there was a bunch of other stuff that happened. So you understand. Now he's going to be delivered over to be crucified. In Mark 15, verse 6, it says, uh, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner of, of whom they asked. So this is the Passover feast. And this was something that the Romans did to appease the Jews, to make sure that they didn't go crazy during Passover. Because they had, you know, people that would want to do insurrections and overturn the Roman government. So this is what they would do. And among the rebels in prison who committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Now this is where we, we, we stumble into Barabbas. And, and Barabbas was actually a, uh, we know that he was a robber, that he was a murderer. And then he actually committed an insurrection. And, and for us, the thing to remember about Barabbas is Barabbas is us. We deserved to be guilty. We deserve to be tried for our guilt, right? And in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not some, all. You think about your sweet grandmother. She sinned. She's a sinner. You know, you start, you start thinking about the sweetest people. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. In Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23, y'all know this verse very well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus is willingly going to the cross for us, and he's innocent. And yet Barabbas is guilty. Barabbas is guilty. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered for, our, uh, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we are Barabbas. And Barabbas deserved death. And you think about Barabbas was a thief as well, and we had two thieves that hang between Jesus on the cross, and yet he was the one that was innocent. In verse 8, it says, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, Do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And you have to think, this guy was an insurrectionist against Rome. This is the last person that you want to let out. Because he's already tried to go and overturn Rome once, right? What do you think he's going to do when he gets out? But this goes to show you that Pilate knew this guy is a murderer, he's a thief, and an insurrectionist, and he is guilty. There's no way that they're not going to pick Barabbas. So that's why he brings the worst prisoner he has, Barabbas, because Jesus is innocent. Herod Antipas has seen he's innocent. He's seen he's innocent. These were the same people that will be, Hosanna, Hosanna is now going to start crucifying him crucify him he's assuming that the crowd's going to make the right choice but there's something here that's very important 
In verse 10, it says, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Out of envy. That word in the Greek actually means that you're not just wanting what another person has, you're resenting them for having it. That's what it means in the Greek. Like, I like the new truck you got, but now I'm resenting you for even having it. Like, I'm mad at you for even having it. That's wrong. That's wrong thinking. But that's where, and, and, and this is where I want y'all to wrap your head around. These were the religious leaders. And it's an ungodly man, Pilate, who believes in many gods that sees the hardness of the hearts. And it's a reminder to us as Christians, your testimony is on display all the time. And people can tell when you're faking it. I've gotten to the point where I don't tell people I'm a Christian. Because Christian has gotten such a bad name because of us. Because we're so hypocritical. I tell people I'm a follower of Jesus, man. I follow Jesus. And I do my best to do that. And that's the only reason why I say that. Because as soon as you tell somebody you're a Christian, the first thing they get is, think about it. What are the first five things that come to your head about a Christian? Hypocrite is probably going to be one of them in that list. And this was the religious leaders that had so much envy because they, they saw Jesus and they were going, man, he's got the crowds coming and that's not right. They should have been happy. There was a revival happening throughout the land. And they were going against it. They were looking at it as, hey, we're losing power. And we need to stop this. And that Roman Gentile called their hearts out. You're envious. There's a little envy here. Your hearts are hard. And we need to be very careful about what we do. And that's why I always tell you, it's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need you to play church with me on Sunday. That's the last thing I want. I want, you to, I want you to live out your faith in your homes. Because when it starts in the homes, in the marriages, in the families, it, 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 it overwhelms the church. It comes into the church. It floods out of the church into the community. But let me tell you something. When your marriages are all a mess, and your family's a mess, it floods into the church, and it floods out into the community. And everybody goes, and they call themselves a Christian. And it's sad, but that's kind of where we're at. So I tell people, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because as soon as I say the word Christian, sometimes people just shut off. They don't want to hear anything else. We need to be very careful about where our hearts are at. If there's some hardness going on or you're envious about some ministry, and this stuff happens in churches, okay? Like you come in here and you go, well, man, but they have a stage and they have a thing and they have a... And you're like, you're being envious of what they got. Praise God they have it. Praise God. But how many of us do that when we go to a conference and you go to the bigger church and they have all the nice speakers and all the new gear and you're like, oh, man, man, I wish we had that stuff. But do you get envious? Are you wanting it so much that, that you're upset because they got it? And it happens. We need to protect our hearts. Verse 11 says, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. So that word stirs up. Um, the word stirred up actually in the, uh, the Greek is a verb. It means to violently shake up and down to incite a mob. So now you have the religious leaders, the chief priest, shaking up and down and inciting a crowd. You have a religious leader 
inciting a riot. And this is the chief priest that's doing it. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? I love that. I love that because when we, when we look at the chief priest and we look at Pilate, we have to actually ask ourselves, what are we going to do with our sin? What are we going to do with, with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Every person in this world has to answer that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Who is he to you? You have to be able to answer that. Because if not, if you don't answer it, and you don't choose to answer it, it'll be answered for you. I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel, uh, Divine, and you'll, you'll be able to track us down. And and lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the, the post office. Uh, if you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.